So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something well it's groundhog day again and that must mean that i'm professor robert e g black and i'm here with sarah black my co-host from five minute arrival and pump up the minute and the host of life's playlist here to discuss groundhog day again still i don't think i've ever discussed groundhog day before <laughs> we're not on a podcast <laughs> i think we've had a conversation no maybe related i have if it wasn't on a podcast it didn't count so but I had a whole blog. We have no evidence of this conversation happening. <laughs> <laughs> so we are here to talk about Minute 7 of Groundhog Day. Have you ever seen this film? Never. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it as many times as I have, of course, but... Every you've, time you've I saw it... You've been forced to see it a few I, times. <laughs> yeah. No, every time I saw it, I forgot that I saw it, and then I had to go back and watch it again. Andy. Yeah. That would be good as long <laughs> as I have the chance to rate a movie first so I know which ones to watch again. Yeah. Do you wish you could do that every time you watch a movie? The next day you get up and reset and watch it's like you never one. saw yeah. the movie? Mm-hmm. Minute seven. They are arriving in Punxsutawney in Woodstock, Illinois. It's the filming location. At the end of the last minute, the van was driving around the square. I don't think it was on this show. I think it was in my blog where I complained about how they were driving. Because there's plenty of room and for some reason the van cuts a really sharp turn close to the guys setting up just for the visual i <laughs> think it's just because it kept him more in the center of the frame yeah did you talk about the song in the last minute no no uh-uh. so. the, 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 well the song it kind of wasn't in the last minute much but mm-hmm. it was in the previous minute it kind of took a break for the oh, conversation in the van yeah uh the song was written for the movie sung by george fenton it was the only soundtrack theme written by harold ramus Oh, that's cool. According that? to the internet. I had to look it up because, you know, there was a song. So if there's yeah. a song, I have to do song information. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned, that this was the only soundtrack theme ever written by a Harold Ramis. And the lyrics are very on the nose. <laughs> Actually, they're almost more on the nose if this was the song at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. If you take it as a rom-com, I'm your weatherman, you know, it's at the end. He's not anyone's weatherman yet. Well, I guess City of Pittsburgh. It's foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> He's your weatherman because you yeah. came from Pittsburgh. Well, no. Yeah. You grew up in Pittsburgh. That's true. You came from Chicago, took a 20-year pit stop in yeah. Pittsburgh. And then you've been then here left. for another 20 years. 20. 20 years in March. Oh, my I've God. I've actually lived here almost as long as I've lived in Pittsburgh. <laughs> nice. It's giving me like Bob Dylan vibes, so. I'm going to need more about this. <laughs> How? So. Wasn't Bob Dylan the one that's like, you don't need a weatherman to tell oh, which okay. way the wind blows? <laughs> <laughs> Lyrics, not yeah. style. Okay. Oh. Yeah, the style isn't really <laughs> Yes. You don't even weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Yes, that was Bob Dylan. <laughs> Subtradian Homesick Blues. Nice. Good job. <laughs> I know that one. I haven't done a podcast about it yet, but yeah. people in like academic circles might know that I've obsessed about the weather underground for a little yeah. bit. Wow. 
Why are you obsessed with so many weather-related things? That's interesting. Is there any connection between <laughs> that, the weatherman with ground? No, so you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Is that was the lyric they latched on to. This, you need... Wait, I guess you don't need a weatherman here yeah, either. Right? Because he's wrong. So what is it about your programming? Actually, wait, that- wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. I just realized something. Nice. He's not wrong. Okay. He says the blizzard's going to miss Pittsburgh. Yeah. And hit out by Altoona. Right. Which it does. Okay. <laughs> All this time I've been thinking he's a bad weatherman. Oh. He's good on the air. He's good at his, like, sarcastic, like, yeah. like that's a, weather, a weatherman persona you can have. But he's also right. And this is why we love Groundhog Day, because you've seen the film, what, over 400 times? Yeah. And you just learned something new And I new still about notice <laughs> new things, yeah. Usually they're visual <laughs> things. Like, I'll notice some weird background detail that I didn't catch before, but, huh. I mean, he does suggest later that Blizzard's not going to hit Woodstock, but at that point he's in Woodstock, so anything he does there is different. So, the song does end as the van goes, let's see, it goes... Past the courthouse, it turns south onto Johnson, and then east off Johnson onto Van Buren and parks in front of the Pennsylvanian Hotel, which is really the Woodstock Opera House. And Larry gets out first and goes around to the back. And I did find this in my blog. I forgot which entry. I Usually I, I reference the specific entry, but they stop at the Pennsylvanian Hotel to drop off Rita. Then they drive to Cherry Street to drop off Phil, and then Larry comes back to the Pennsylvania. Why didn't they just go to Cherry Street first? The scene only happens because they made poor choices, (laughs) which isn't the best writing. Did they really make (laughs) poor choices, or did their programming tell them what? (laughs) Their programming by Harold Ramis and and Danny Rubin and Bill Murray, uncredited, Made this choice that they wanted this scene to happen. This scene could have happened out. Well, no, it couldn't. It wouldn't happen the same way because he wouldn't have been disappointed. This movie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So Larry gets out. Then Rita gets out. Then finally Phil gets out, and he tells Rita, "Rita, I can't stay here." And Larry says, "Oh, prima donnas." To which Rita, you know, the producer, doing her job, says, "I'll handle it." What's the matter, Phil? Although she does not look at him, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to put up with his shit, but she is not going to make eye contact until <laughs> she has to. And he tells her, I hate this place. I stayed here two years ago. I was miserable. It's a flea bag. I'm not staying here, which we can get to him in a moment. But there's another thing I have a problem with. If the Pennsylvanians a flea bag, why is it the place they have the banquet? But I guess you could have a dirty hotel that has a nice banquet hall. Yeah. And why is the producer staying there? It's too expensive to put them all up at the bed and breakfast. And something weird about this conversation is <laughs> Rita, I can't stay here. And then she says, what's the matter, Phil? I mean, one, he literally said what the problem was. Rita, I can't stay here. And two, she already knew she booked him the other place. So why is she like, oh, what's wrong? Is she just like taunting him? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's asking him a question that she already knows the answer to. Yeah. Like, they booked him at a bed and breakfast probably because two years ago, whoever was pro- yeah. his producer put it in some sort of note somewhere that he, this place sucked and he hated it. But she doesn't care. So she's just she's excited to do the job. Yeah. And she gets to stay right next to the square where she can be close to all the action. And then he ends with, I'm not staying here. To which she replies, you're not staying here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not? No. Larry's just dropping me off. I booked you in a very nice bed and breakfast on Cherry Street. And she hands him, I guess it's a 
business card with the address for Cherry. I don't know what she gives him. Some paper that has that information. And he says, great. You know, I think this is one of the traits of a really good producer. Keep the talent happy. And she gets cut off in the, her next sentence, anything I can do. Oh, I did have it in my notes. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> it was day 84. <clears throat> close call, folks. 25th October, 2013. <clears throat> where I wrote about why they went to the hotel first <clears throat> instead of the bed and breakfast. So, obviously this scene's just setting up him being snobby and pretentious. Yes. And she's accommodating him. Mm-hmm. But she's accommodating yeah. in, I wouldn't say it's a sarcastic way exactly, but it's it's something close to that. Like, she's saying what she wants him to hear, but she's not really actually that accommodating. Things have already been arranged. She doesn't have to accommodate him at this mm-hmm. point. But she makes it sound like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's happening here. Can I make a critical observation? Yes. That you'll probably disagree with because you've seen this film like 400 times. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. something that was bugging me about yes. it. This is, obviously, this film's like, what, almost 30 years ago now. So this whole thing has been played out in hundreds of, like, Hallmark Channel made a whole... Like the time loop? or Not the time loop. Rom-coms. <laughs> which, no. which whole thing? <laughs> okay, so basically the whole Hallmark Channel thing, which is setting up that the city person is smug and wrong oh. and has to learn to adopt small town values yep. because small white rural America is the right America and the best America. Yeah, and romanticization the, of the rural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so romanticization of the and i was like oh that's annoying (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes i wrote about that in the blog many times and that's where i compared the movie to among other things doc hollywood uh Mm -hmm. cars which is basically just a rehash of the plot (laughs) of doc hollywood and yeah it's that whole idea that this urban person will become a better person by going in a small town which i'd like to say isn't true I don't know. You grew up in the tiny town of Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh is a city with millions of people in it. Barely, like one point some, but whatever. It's a city. <laughs> it's a city, yeah. We Well, we see it earlier in the film. We saw Pittsburgh. It's fairly big. Pittsburgh is actually a really interesting city because it's definitely a city. It has things that cities have. Like, there's a lot to do. Mm. There's, like, great restaurants. There's plenty of culture, great museum. Like, it's very much a a city but it's also very like kind of small town midwest culturally i think in actuality it's less about city versus rural but it's more of a cultural thing between pittsburgh and punxsutawney might not actually be that different oh it is i don't know about punxsutawney specifically but trust me you drive an hour out of pittsburgh like in any direction and it's a very (laughs) different okay they'd be different but they're not the difference (laughs) that we see here necessarily (laughs) Especially Punxsutawney on the day where thousands of people show up to watch. I mean, we don't ever, well, we do get a couple crowd shots, but we never see how quite big the crowd can get. But you get thousands of people go to Punxsutawney on Groundhog Day, even before this movie made it more popular. What do you think that means, though? What do I think what means? Why is that theme in this movie? Because Harold Ramis is a white dude who wrote a movie. I don't know. <laughs> Danny Rubin wrote Danny Rubin, sorry. He was on the show. I don't know. I you wasn't don't know. On you this. haven't listened. As of this recording, the show's not out yet. I'm sorry, so. but I'm a hyperlexic weirdo. When you wrote blogs, I read them for years. When you make podcasts, I try to listen to podcasts. It's funny because I will make things like a podcast like this one. I don't do well with listening. I do much better with reading. So if oh, someone me wants me to see their content, give it to me in a written form. I will read it. But listening, 
I can't help it. Like, I'll get a minute in, even if it's someone I really like, even if it's a topic I'm really interested in, and like a minute, two minutes later, I'm just like, wait, what did I just listen to? Which was my problem in school, because I would go to classes, especially in college. Now this isn't as much of a thing, obviously, because of COVID, but professors would like always expect you to be in their class. So I would just go to classes and just zone out for two, three hours. I have no idea what anyone said in class. And then I would just read everything and like write everything because I'm a read-write person. (laughs) Anyway, so that's the long answer as to why I haven't listened to (laughs) No, that's me too. And it's like speaking of COVID, that's when I basically stopped listening to podcasts most of the time. Yeah. Which is bad because I'm a podcaster. And it's probably not a good idea that we're sitting here on a podcast that we want you to listen to talking about how podcasts. No, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, it means you like listening to podcasts. I'm yeah. glad you picked this one. Thank you. Yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I have trouble listening to podcasts when I'm not, you know, driving in traffic. And I don't drive in traffic much anymore because I exactly. work from home. Yeah, that was my podcast time too. The rare time mm-hmm. I would like put something on when. Now, if I put a podcast on, it better be on time and a half. Oh or my even gosh. double time, Let's depending on which that show. Too. Everything I listen to has to be in time and a half. At least that's the only way I can pay attention to it, including if, all of my students, like, <laughs> and especially. Like this recording right here. It was probably a lot longer than what you're listening to, because I cut out silence and banter and background sounds, and I don't want you to experience the conversation we had. <laughs> Going into the programming of yesterday's episode of Moosh yeah. Machina, I want you to experience the episode I invented. Cre- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this but, is just a fuel we're making right here. But no, to also kind of answer your question, this is just like a huge ideology in the United States. Take, for example, the Electoral College. If you make an argument as to why the Electoral College should be abolished, one of the first things that people will say in rebuttal is that, well, then small towns, like small places, won't really have a voice mm-hmm. in the political process. Never mind the fact that small towns and places actually control the political process and have no idea what's going on. But nobody says, like, to that person in Idaho, well, you should really understand what's going on in a a big city. Those people's needs should be represented. Right. They're all just in, like, a few, you know, California, New York, whatever. The fills of the world are the oblivious ones. Exactly. That's just like a very United States political, rugged individualism kind of thing. And so I think you just see that ideology like play out in a lot of films. It's kind of a joke. Like people actually joke about oh, yeah. that being like the Hallmark Channel thing. Yep. Every film is like somebody that has to go back home and mm-hmm. rediscover why, you know, the city they left to is bad in the small town that they returned to with the like yes. <laughs> white conservative values is the right way to live. Yeah. yeah. Well, even in this scene, Larry worked in San Diego and now he works in Pittsburgh. As far as we know, he's always been in a big city. Mm-hmm. We don't know where Rita's from. She has a southern accent, but we don't know. She could have grown up in Pittsburgh, too. Well, that's just because Andy McDowell, right? Yeah. She's from South Carolina. So unless she has a reason to really disguise her accent, right. she's going to sound she southern. Didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like we don't know that, that Rita is somehow... She later she'll actively speak in favor of these small town people and all the their partying and everything they're doing and he calls them hicks. But is she a hick too, or is she just him with those blinders on where she thinks the small town is gonna bring something great? And as the show goes on, really, is it the small town that makes him a better person? Or has he only become a better person because he ran out of bad person options? Yeah. We don't see all the bad person mm. options because once they cast Bill Murray 
he had just come off a of Caddyshack where he tried to kill a gopher and they didn't want to have the scene in the from the original script where he goes into the library and tries to gun down the, the groundhog because, you know, we just saw that. So he never does they anything that They didn't want him to get bad. a reputation. <laughs> right. Well, and they also didn't want – the original script is a little more of a drama. It's comedic, mm. but it's more of a drama and structure. And so he can do horrible things and come mm-hmm. back from it. In a comedy, he can't do horrible things yeah. and come back from it. The worst thing he does is trick Nancy into a date and also try to trap Rita in his bedroom. But we'll talk about that when we get to that. The movie kind of ignores Sounds that heavy. moment. Sounds <laughs> No, there's an interesting moment later <laughs> where he stands in her way when she's looking around his room the first time she goes there. And I'm like, was that – it's not a scripted moment. Was it the director? Was it Harold Ramis? Was it Bill Murray? <laughs> like, who did the blocking for that scene? I don't know. Yeah, we'll end heavy because – actually, we will end heavy because – do we have anything else on Minute 7 of this? Because oh, also on this show, we talk about our time loop of the week, which this week – I think we mentioned it in a previous episode, but we didn't go into a lot of detail, I don't think. Most of life is just junk, right? It's, it's filler. Mm. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Never think about it. We must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. Perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Time! Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. Time. The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this Time. one town, Time. in this one day, we could collect them. Season two, episode nine of the most recent version of Twilight Zone. Episode entitled Try Try that was written by Alex Rubens and directed by Jen McGowan and stars uh, Topher Grace and Kylie Bunbury. Most of the episode essentially gives us basically one of the worst, worst, I'd say, worst days of one man's time loop where he has manipulated his situation into trying to hook up with a woman in a museum. Well, we don't really know if it's one of the worst days in this time. No, no, I don't mean worst for him. Also, he could have done worse things before. Actually, there are moments in this episode where I think he has done worse things in this Mm -hmm. situation. Because as soon as he talks about telling her the truth, Mm -hmm. he immediately leaves the room they're in and goes to a room where the cameras don't work. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know And I'm like, what did he do in that room before? (laughs) How badly did this already go? And how much does he, he implies that he doesn't remember how bad, uh, there's a line near the end where he says like he could do bad things and he'd probably feel bad about it for about a hundred times or a hundred tries because he calls them tries, hundred tries, implying that he's done bad things before and he got Mm -hmm. over it as far as he likes to claim. So I don't know what your notes are. I don't have any notes on it. If you want to do it like chronologically or- However you got (laughs) Well, I was taking notes chronologically as I was watching it, but I mean, we don't need to go through. But basically, I'd start 
my first thing would just mm-hmm. be to say, and then we'll get keep going to yours in order, is that it starts like a sort of meet cute from any rom com would be. He keeps her from getting hit by a truck. They keep bumping into each other in a museum. And I watched it knowing it was a time loop thing and yeah. knowing my interest in it. So immediately he's saying things where it's like, oh, I see what they're doing there with he already knows what's going to happen. But if you didn't know that was the situation, it might take you as long as it takes her to realize something weird is happening. Yeah, this was my second time watching it. And I could tell they were setting up like super early these clues that he knows way, way mm-hmm. too much for this to be like a random chance even, encounter. Even the way he's holding his book when he first saves her. He's yeah, holding he it so she can see the cover, see yeah. but she doesn't notice, so then he has to bring it up later. Yeah. There's so much going on. I'm just trying to figure out like how I want to talk about this. I will say, just to be nice, previous guest to the show, Nate, on his show, mm-hmm. It's Time to Rewind, did an interview with the director. And I would say the director did a wonderful job because they set up all these subtle visuals that yeah. when you rewatch it are so blatant. I'm like, how did I even miss some of them oh, when yeah. I'm looking for these things? Yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to that kind of obsessed with this episode and that's why i'm struggling with like how to talk about it because there are so many different like there are so many different layers of meaning i mean talking about like she's writing essays to avoid actually feeling things he's carrying around a novel rationalizing how we feel about art the novel used to be trash, so there's a whole commentary about like yeah, how we use certain yeah. types of media. Like every time there's a new media, it's like now TikTok is the word. TikTok got blamed for that. Did you hear about that? The Which? apparently there was like this kind of full U.S. mass shooter threat. Somebody like did oh, something yeah, on yeah, TikTok, yeah. and then yeah. so parents were deciding whether to keep their kids from home from, from going school, to school for like the whole day. That's just day. a couple weeks ago, and then rather than actually look at like the culture of like guns and mass shooting in the country, everyone's like TikTok is horrible, right? <laughs> because whatever the media is that people are currently using, like the vehicle, that's what gets blamed. Like the novel meant that people had access, like easier access Mm -hmm. to thoughts and ideas. So that was like trash because only a certain privileged class were supposed to have access to types of entertainment and information. Her dissertation is about masks, masks we wear and reincarnation. Obviously, that's not an accident. No. None of these things are an accident. The mark with the C, I'm not sure if there was some deeper level with that other than just him kind of studying these stories to like psychologically manipulate her. Yeah, we, we get a montage later of him manipulating a specific situation like the masks. He gives them weird names mm-hmm. and he's testing out different names to see which one she laughs at. Yeah. So he knows which one to say later. Right. <laughs> I think the mark with a C could be part of that. It might also be a sort of a presentation of who he is, or who we're supposed to interpret him as, Mm -hmm. is this sort of character who's very adamant about you spelling his name. Because he says that before, to make her bring up the fact Mm -hmm. that she knew someone named that. Yeah. And so our first experience of it is him saying it, and it's him being specific about how you spell his name. Yeah. Which reads as a very specific kind of man. Who's like, yeah. A has been named Mark with a C, which... I but he actually I'm, is Mark with a K. He's That's Mark with a K. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name is Mark Wheeler. Yeah. Which is a whole on-the-nose naming thing, too, for someone in a time loop. But, the yeah, the C is weird. Cause I, don't, I also don't know how to describe what kind of person I think that is that they're trying to sell him as. It 
goes back to our actually what we said about Caleb yesterday in Ex Machina is that he's the good guy at the beginning of the story. Right. Mark with a C, he seems nicer. And that's what I like about this episode. C is softer. Is this episode in a way is like very heavy handed. Oh, yeah. Like very heavy handed. But I'm definitely trying to expose that like quote unquote nice guy thing mm-hmm. and what lies underneath the most guys who again would consider themselves the nice guy or the nice feminist. He's just really trying to understand. No, like he's using that. And then the whole just like in a larger sense outside of just the two of them, the fact that this isn't a museum is very purposeful mm-hmm. the whole idea of like colonization well yeah it's a museum of she's writing about indigenous masks yeah but it's a museum that they didn't make for themselves and he views her obviously as a conquest so mm-hmm. symbolic of dudes who objectify women and keep trying which is another thing in movies and tv shows that i don't yep. like that you just have to keep trying over and well, over yeah, and try over try is the title you- <laughs> of the episode exactly if at first you don't um, succeed try try again and in rom-coms and well even things that aren't rom-coms that is absolutely the rule of winning and well even the fact that i just said winning because right. that's how they frame it See? is yeah. that you have to keep putting more and uh, the, the whole american american way thing you know is that if you fail, it's your fault and you didn't put in enough effort. So you have to keep putting in more and more effort until eventually you will get what you want. And Mark is the worst version of that time loop guy. Yeah. So <laughs> interesting thing about like programming versus individual choice here too. Like not to let Mark off the hook, he's horrible, but he's really enacting just his cultural programming. <laughs> And just, like, getting it wrong. Like, he lists a ton of things he knows about her. Of course, that's going to freak her out. If somebody Mm -hmm. shows up and, like, it's the first day meeting them and they just start listing a ton of things that know about me, that's not going to make me think, like, oh, that's so sweet. They care about me. And be like, who the hell are you? (laughs) So, in the scene when he plays with the oar and then, like, smacks her in the butt with it, it's like, he doesn't care about her like he since he studied her so long he knows like how she feels about artifacts like he knows what she does for a living who she is but he finds no meaning in anything he can't find meaning in the artifact because he's done so many times it's Mm -hmm. like you say a word so many times it becomes meaningless yeah it just becomes like the sounds so he's not finding meaning in the artifact he's not finding meaning in her obviously because he can just repeat the day infinite times so making kind of not a unique argument here by any means either but just what makes life special is the fact that we are mortal and we can't do that so we are able to ascribe meaning to things and when we make mistakes in relationships or with whatever we have to deal with the consequences of those we don't get to Mm -hmm. just like loop back what he's really not getting despite his infinite number of times he's done this day is he's still like not getting like all this practice has been for her but obviously it hasn't been for her he doesn't even view her as a human being it's all been for him she again is just a conquest he just wants to own and claim her but he doesn't really view her as having much more value than that ore that he's playing with or the canoe that he goes and lies down in it's just something else that he's been programmed to want into yeah even though his time loop has clearly gone longer than phil's he doesn't get bored and so there's a problem because there are no consequences to anything he does yeah and any consequences can be erased the next try and yeah, it's, it's... It's literally a video. He's just a character in a video game. Yeah. So obvi- yeah. 
And she tells him that he doesn't actually know her. And he says he knows her better than anyone. But of course he doesn't. He's just like living an experiment. Mm -hmm. In which she's not a person. Right. And some of these obvious lines are like, you're lucky I'm nice, he says to her. It's like a thing nice guys say. Uh Like that is such a thing on like, like, oh, I'm such a nice guy. Or like, hashtag not all men. And it's really annoying. <laughs> Which is funny because don't they have an episode called Not All Men later in the season? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it would have fit as a title for this one. The whole season of Twilight Zone definitely has some like very specific arguments <laughs> and like ideology it's making. But his whole thing is going to break down. There's no meaning in anything. Like what even are values? What even is truth? His thing is just like total nihilism at that point. Yeah. Which he can't get anything from. Right. Except more of the same. And then she says, you want the freedom to do what you want without being menaced. I want the freedom to not be harassed, which is the very like mm-hmm. heterosexual male-female experience. Yeah. And he takes offense at her use of menaced because that's he doesn't see it that way. You know, yeah. he's nice. <laughs> he's just trying to make her experience in the museum wonderful for that day. Even though he's totally transactional. Like, men do think like, oh, well, if I do X, then I'm owed Y. Mm -hmm. If I go out and make money, then my wife owes me. I mean, literally, men could rape their wives until the 1990s legally. So in this country, I'm pretty sure in some places. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm talking about the United States. So the entire like cultural programming is just like, well, if I do this, then I get this out of it. Guys also think. If a woman says yes once, that he owns her. Like, one yes means forever yes. It's like, oh, well, she had sex with me. She did this. So now... I (laughs) actually love the way this episode kind of first introduces that element. Mm -hmm. Because it's him quoting the book. She enjoys the first quote. And so he immediately offers another. Right. And she says no. Yeah. But he's not taking that no as an answer. But at the in the moment, it's just him quoting a book. So even us in the audience were like, no, that's not that bad. You can listen to him say whatever. You like the book. It's fine. And he's a nice guy. Because at that moment, we don't know he's what he is and what's going on. And he calls himself the puppeteer of the universe. <laughs> and yep. when he decides that their conversation is over, it's over. Then he's chasing her and literally treating her like an animal. That yep. he's <laughs> so it breaks down. And inevitably, it's and going he puts to one of the masks down. On. As long yeah. as he goes into it with the mindset that she is a puzzle that he can solve. And that if he does X, he will get Y input. The same thing will keep happening. And that's the thing. I think that's the larger argument that it's making. Like, this obviously doesn't benefit women to be treated this way but it also doesn't benefit men he is not happy he is not benefiting from no he's just (laughs) repeating the same problem over exactly and so that's the thing with like toxic masculinity that's the thing with like this conquest like nobody ends up getting what they want out of the relationship at that point it's also harming everyone (laughs) it is also and this is me saying this who have seen the movie groundhog day hundreds of times It's also one of the problems with Groundhog Day. So many people interpret the end of the movie as Phil finally earned Rita's attention, and that's what gets him out of the time loop. Yeah. Which turns it into the rom-com trope of, of course, Mm -hmm. they're going to get together. They have to, because he put in all this effort. Right. And I don't think that was that that, definitely not what Danny Rubin intended. Mm -hmm. It might have been what Harold Ramis intended. So then does Rita even have a choice? Like, is she even, does she even possess free will? Is she not just an object then? 
at that point. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then there's the level that the audience is putting on that Mm -hmm. character is that we want Rita to finally like him because he became a better person. But then that's us buying into those same tropes. Right. Just like this. In the beginning of this episode, if you don't know it's a time loop, it's it's nice. It's these two people who are meeting and have similar interests until he there's something wrong with him pretty quickly in the way he yeah. approaches that. But it's not as bad as he gets. And so how long can we be strung along to support it? Groundhog Day avoids that, as I said previously, by not having Phil do anything that horrible. But he's saying like, men dominate. I hope that doesn't trigger you. Like, this is just the way that it is. It's been this way from mm-hmm. the beginning of time. It will keep being this way. I don't know. I guess that is the big question. Like, is it meant to always be that way? Like, can... What does can, meant mean Can we sense? override our one... Is that even animalistic program? Is that how animals work? No, that's cultural program. It's cultural, too, for sure. But, <laughs> like... It arises <laughs> indirectly from some genetic programming. Mm-mm. But no. And also, can we get past it? No, because there's billions of us. And billions of those, larger billions, buy into the systems that promote it. From religion on down to rom-coms and Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah. I mean, right now in this country, I'm sure in a lot of places, but in this country specifically, we're seeing like a huge backlash against women's rights, like with draconian like mm. abortion laws, with yeah. all of these things. And I think... A lot of men personally are afraid because women don't really need men that much (laughs) anymore. We're not living in a world where like tigers are eating us. Women can go to work, have money, have careers, make decisions for themselves. They're not beholden to their fathers. They're not beholden to, they don't need husbands. How women can even have babies if they want to without actually having involvement with a man. So if someone feel, and again, I'm not justifying this, obviously, but if someone feels like they're being rendered obsolete, they're going to probably backlash against that. Yeah. And, well, with him, and also I believe this came up with Caleb yesterday, it's going to go against the men as well. Not just that they're afraid of women taking power, but societies, plural, separately, have problems based on what they allow women to do. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like as Mark with a C might, or Mark with a K. But like I was reading this thing, sociologist's name is Ray Bloomberg, and her sort of research into specifically the use of the plow and the spread of the patriarchy. But one of the results was that in certain countries like Saudi Arabia, where they don't allow women to work, they have less what we would call productivity, because all the men are producing is oil. They're producing Mm -hmm. one output and they don't know how to do all these other domestic things when what led to like tailors and smiths, like people who could sew, people who had skills, was women staying in the house and had to do all these skills. Because in small towns, small villages, we were talking about difference in Mm -hmm. town size, you don't get specializing. You get people have to be able to do these things. But it was the women who had to do these things because the men were out pushing the plow because they're, you know, physically stronger Mm -hmm. on average. And then they promote that strength, and they eat better, and they remain strong, and then they promote their sons over their daughters, so it promotes it from generation to generation. And yeah, of course they're going to be afraid when then you try to upend that, because what the hell are they going to do? They've been programmed to do one thing. They've been told as men, you get what you want because you are powerful and you work, which also in this country results in us hating on people who don't work. 
Yeah, which is a whole Even when they have other thing. issues that might get in the way of them working as we'd want Go them to. Go listen to my TikTok if you want to hear more about <laughs> yeah. that. I talk about that a lot there, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. And we, the, Mark is essentially the result, is this man who's been told, you get what you want because you put effort in. And what happens when you don't get what you want? It isn't that you can actually cry about it. Right. Because someone will mock you for cry. that. Yeah. <laughs> and men don't cry and all that. Or boys don't cry even. We make Ooh. it worse. Yes. So toxic masculinity is a problem, not only because women have to deal with abusive men, but because men are taught that they must relentlessly pursue a woman at all costs. And they're not taught how to deal with failure when they don't get the woman exactly. they want or anything that they want. Yeah. But in this case, the woman. Uh-huh. and we don't allow men to fail. And we blame, again, going back to the individualism, well, you are a failure as a man. And then we don't actually. And like so <laughs> we don't teach them how to deal with being a failure, but they are a failure because of what we taught them. So they have to sublimate that into lashing out to do as much as possible to not be a failure, which in Mark's case just means more of the same. And it's not going to end well for anybody. And it makes sense they're going to use their physicality him literally like chasing her like mm-hmm. smacking her in the butter all of those things because that's what men are programmed to believe that they have like yeah. that's their thing they have to be physically strong physical protectors yeah and <laughs> and, well, and on a literal level in this episode the fact that it's in a museum allows that right she doesn't want to disrupt everyone else yeah so she'll put up with him which goes to society as well women will put up with men's shit for a while because they don't want to disrupt everybody. Right. And then when they do, we're like, why didn't you speak up earlier? Yes. <sighs> but she's also had centuries. Not really. She doesn't know it. But women, her representing women, have had centuries also to evolve how to respond to men who wield power. So mm-hmm. she's able to kick his ass pretty <laughs> Right. Eventually, yeah, she does. Once she lashes out, she kicks his ass quickly. But you mentioned him hitting her with the paddle earlier. He does it, you know, it's playful. And he's like, I knew you'd react okay with that. But no, she didn't know security wouldn't freak out if she screamed. Right. And also, it was, quote unquote, playful. So she's still reading the room, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And she can still get away from him at that point. Once he has her trapped, she's like, I don't care about the rest of this place. Yeah. And she kicks his ass and security shows up. It's great. If only that would have been the end of the time loop. But the story's not that neat. Because him getting beat by her doesn't mean he won't just do it again. Right. He's still a man he's in the same society. He's moved on from her, so right. he's just going to do it to somebody else yeah. now. He'll yeah. do whoever else is standing by that bus. Yeah. <sighs> so, um, we're going to hear some of these rants <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> I don't uh, think you said your, your name if you want them to find just it. Just at Comlion, C-O-M-M-L-I-O-N. Thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Manusha X Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM, and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com, or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. Through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or 
which comes again and again. Lap, lap, lapping. Like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. And are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Mm. Yeah, you know Groundhog Day is not a documentary. You don't need a weatherman to know it's where the wind blows. Oh, get far and keep on short pants romance. Learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed. Time be a success. Please her, please him. Five gifts, don't steal, don't live. Twenty years of schooling and he put you on the day shift. Look out, kid. They keep it all hit.